0: Well, good morning. As you turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, we will be in verse 19 to 25. Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 25. Please read along with me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Please pray with me. God, you have given us this morning new mercy, and in that, a confidence to come to you, to come to your word, to see Jesus right and clearly beautiful and captivating in his gospel. We pray this morning that we would see you as your spirit stirs in our hearts, maybe to see you new for the first time, or maybe to see you refreshed for the thousandth time. But Lord, I pray that your spirit would stir in us. So we pray that you would draw near to us as you have told us to draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we have to come to this text with a great, important context that chapter 10 especially, but all of Hebrews so far, has brought us to this place. And I have to ask you this morning, because of all those things, what is the basis, what is the foundation for our confidence? And that word confidence comes in a lot of different ways, a lot of different contexts, a lot of different places. We have a lot of different backstories. I understand that. But what is your confidence this morning to sit in front to sit before a holy God. Some of y'all wrestle with this, I know very well, and on an ongoing basis. You're very reflective. You're thinking, "Why, why can I pray? Why can I serve? Why can I love? Why can I do those things that I would maybe call spiritual or religious? Why do I go to church? Why do I show up at Sunday school? Why do I invest in the lives of others during small groups? I hope this morning especially after last week's sermon that so clearly anchored our confidence in Christ, in his sacrifice, in all of the rich details that our author has spent time showing us. I hope that we can say this morning that my confidence is in Christ, my identity is in Christ, my faith is in Christ, my daily life is hidden in Christ and the direction this passage is going this morning, our eternity is in Christ. Because that's the starting point. And all these other commands have to flow out of that. It can't be in the reverse order. Because if I see that it's my self-confidence or maybe a worry, a doubt that I don't have enough confidence, then these joy-filling commands... Get lumped in with other demands. And these are encouraging. These are sources of uh, connection and encouragement for the church. So see, read, hear, enjoy these commands as the result of confidence, not the cause for confidence. What you get to do because of who you already are in Christ so with that, I want to break out two reasons that the text shows us that we can have confidence and then three really important commands, draw near, hold fast, and stir up. So let's plow in. Right off the bat, we see the very first word in this text is, therefore, brothers and sisters. Now, this therefore is the conclusion, it's the culmination of a lot that's gone before all the way back from Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 where he says hold fast our confession all the way to unpacking what this confession is in. It's not just a think really nice happy thoughts but it's a confession anchored in the objective truth of who Christ is. The promise that has been woven through the Old Testament for centuries is now pointing ahead to who Christ is. He's a high priest. He's the final sacrifice. All of this is pointing that we have a full and final forgiveness through Christ. All the way that gets us to this therefore. Because of all that's true, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have this confidence, not just in and of ourselves, but actually enter the holy places. You remember all those stages, the places in the tabernacle? You couldn't come in here if you were only a Gentile. You couldn't enter this place if you hadn't been cleansed. You couldn't walk into the Holy of Holies if you were only a priest once a year in all these rituals. We can have confidence now. This is also, if you want to get geeked out in some grammar really quickly, the very first word in Greek in this passage, in this section, is not therefore, it's actually the verb have. We have confidence, therefore, brothers and sisters, to enter the holy places. He's trying to front load this on us, to remind us that it's not confidence to earn. It's not, there's confidence out there. Just go find it. It's we have it because of Christ. And then we see these prepositional phrases are anchored to that by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way. So the first reason is that because we have confidence to enter, we have this boldness, this free access all the way into God. It's a current reality that all believers have. It's not eventual. It's not contingent because it's by the blood of Jesus himself. So God has opened us this way, this new and living way he's opened us through the curtain that is, through Christ's flesh. This is, seemed like just a little kind of throw in their detail, but this is a big deal. You remember the, the time the gospel spends saying that at the moment of the crucifixion, when the skies go dark at midday, the temple curtain, the, the big blocked off section that said, this is the Holy of Holies, you will not go there thou shalt not pass, right? That, you can't get in there. That temple curtain, three inches thick, or however thick it was, woven, was ripped in half, not just a little bit, all the way down, never more will there be a separation between God and his people because of the work that Christ has done. And this is not just a once for all, isn't that a nice historic detail. This is a new and a living way That in Christ, we have a way to the Father. And this is beautiful because it's both life-giving and Christ is now living. Don't just catch that as an interesting play on words. It's it's life-giving for us because of who Christ is, that he's living in us. This way now that we have open for us, it's exactly what Jesus said he would do. Remember back to John chapter 10, Jesus says in verse 9 and 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I came that they may have life, and not just eke by, but have life abundantly. And then in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus himself has opened this new and living way through his own body, his own flesh. And if that reason weren't good enough, the second reason, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he's not only the entrance way in, he's there himself. He's in the very presence of God. He sits at at the right hand of the Father. He sits because his work is finished. Last week we were reminded there's no more double jeopardy for us. Christ's sacrifice has completed everything that we could never do, and he sat down to prove it was done. But he's there in the presence, in the holy places, before the very throne of God. Hebrews 3.6 says that Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Please, people of God, don't miss that because Christ is there as a son, we are there as his brothers and sisters. We're family. How much confidence does that give us? I had a big brother, and oftentimes it was, you know, a little bit of a, a quarrelsome thing. Dare to say, I wouldn't have that much confidence if if my older brother said, yeah, come on in. It'll be great. He'd be setting me up for something, right? But Jesus says, I've done it all for you. I've brought your way and I made your way into your father's house, my father's house. He loves you. And Jesus is now saying, come in, eat with me. Drink with me. Enjoy life with me. How much confidence can we have because of that? The one who opened and secured a way into God the Father's presence is now saying, Come, enter in. This is where you need to be. So, with that confidence, those important reasons, we get these imperatives, these commands. What do we do then? So let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us stir up. First, draw near. This is the idea, it's the first of these imperatives, and it's pointing to, please don't catch this as well, because I know sometimes in a big paragraph of our text, we, we miss this. It's draw near by faith. Hold fast in hope. Stir up one another in Love. There's this beautiful connection. And I don't know if Hebrews, the author here, is is reading Paul and he's saturated with Pauline theology of faith, hope, and love, or if it's just that good because God in his spirit is inspiring these things that faith, hope, and love are what draw my hearts into the presence of God. But these commands are clear. And they go to show the way that God uses commands In his word, they show our inability to obey and our need for a stand-in. We've gotten that through 10 chapters of Hebrews. We couldn't do it in the Old Testament, and Jesus stood in our place so that we can now be drawn into his presence. The second use of the commands are that they show us the family guidelines. What is a good father, one of his children? How should we obey him well? We should draw near. We should hold fast. We should stir up one another. And then last, how a society gets to grow together. A community gets to thrive under these good promises, these good commands of a good God and his sovereign rule. And that's exactly where we're going with our command to stir up one another, not neglecting to meet together. That's what he's at work doing so don't miss that there's faith, hope, and love, and that there's a, a, a sequence to that. We have to start with faith. And that encourages us. That, that uh, fans the flame, in a sense, of, of the anchor of our hope. And that's so rich and so good that it overflows into love for one another. That's where we're going. So this draw near... With a true heart, in full assurance of faith, this command to draw near, it's anchoring the point that our our true heart is both how we come near and why we actually can do this. What we're doing when we're being commanded to draw near. A, A true heart actually means with right affections, with our priorities lined up. It doesn't mean that you have to fix all your stuff, get yourself polished up, On the outside and just, you know, kind of fake it until you make it and you show up and it's okay. It's right in intentions. An intent to wholly worship what is actually holy. To entirely adore what is pure and right and good. With, again, the full assurance of faith. We're going to get in a couple more chapters of the very next chapter, the beginning of chapter 11, that faith is that assurance of things hoped for. It doesn't put blinders on and say, wow, that would be really great if this would happen. It says, because of Christ, I can be assured that what he says, the reality he's showing me, the spiritual truths, even though it's really hard sometimes to see that on a day-to-day basis, those spiritual realities I can have assurance in. And so I can draw near. One author puts it this way. The meaning here is not merely let our worship be pure. It's part of that, but it's not just that. But since Christ's sacrifice, we have been purified from sin. Let us then enjoy access to God, which is thereby made possible. He goes on to point to verse 25, which we'll get into a little bit, but I like that it's included in this quote here, that verse 25 will show us that access to God and worship, the way that we need to be thinking of that, is understood in terms of the corporate life of believers. That might need a second to think in. And it's hard when I come, when I'm obeying the command to draw near with a full assurance, with a true heart, and I look around at other people and my impure heart wants to compare and to get into competition with them, even though they don't know it, so I can always win. And we're saturated in a society that is so individualistic It's all about me. And it's very consumeristic. So it's all about me and what I get. Please don't leave this place saying, wow, I don't feel like I got anything out of that. And that's not a statement of my ego at all. Please do not hear that. Please don't come into this place with your hearts thinking it's only all about you. Because there's so much of this, so much of this that we need, brothers and sisters, for one another. The one anothering of faith, the togetherness of hope, that including in each other's lives of love. We heard in our song a minute ago, exactly what Hebrews chapter four verse 16 is that, that he's got the same idea of drawing near with confidence. Let us then, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need can't tell you how many times, brothers and sisters, I've come into this room, and I'm not saying there's anything unique or particularly awesome about this room, but because I've come into this room and I've seen your faces, the Lord has worked through you, not just always smiles, but those are that I know that are, are grieving on the inside, that my heart wants to weep with you, and that is good for my soul. Because I know the Spirit has brought you here. And I know you have connections that are so much richer and deeper because you meet God here when you meet one another here. So let us draw into his presence. Let us come to one another with a pure heart and full assurance of faith. And in case you're wondering... My heart ain't always that pure. I don't always have the right intentions, the right priorities, the right motives. Praise the Lord for the very next phrase. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Reminding it's not you that's fixed yourself up to get into this, this, in the presence of God. It's Christ. Again, the blood of Jesus, verse 19, right before that, that's what sprinkles our hearts clean. And why is it the evil conscience that's made clean? Because your conscience will do all kinds of crazy work all week long to talk you out of drawing near to God. It will help you doubt, it will make you worry. Your conscience will overcompetitize. That's not even a word, but you know what I'm saying. It will make you want to compete on levels that you can never. Achieve. And the evilness of your conscience is derived from the wrong aspect of guilt. I could go on on separate tangents about how our society today wants to take conscience and make it the leveraging tool for how we can be free of all the hindrances of society. And, and those are old traditional ways of doing different things. Just put those off so you can live your best life now and, and let yourself go and be true to yourself But Christ's blood has washed our hearts clean. And his pure water, the water of the Holy Spirit, has washed our bodies so that we draw near with a true heart because of him. So what could keep us away? Because when our full assurance is in faith, by faith, Christ and Him alone. That's where we get to come. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, how much more will that purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That's where we go. Let me just, as a tangent, because this is going to set up our third point, this is specifically driving towards corporate group worship. But it's not only that. And sometimes we think in the wrong direction of, of corporate and group worship as the only place I get to draw near to God. This is actually along with Romans 12:1, right? When our, our act of spiritual worship is offering our lives, our bodies, as living sacrifices every second of every good day. In those terms... I get to draw near to God always. I'm drawing near to the throne of grace in prayer, yes, and that's pivotal in corporate worship, of course, but that's everywhere. This is not a a caveated command only on Sundays between the hours of, this is the always draw near to, to God because his grace is always present. But especially in times of need, especially when my heart might not feel it, then I need it even more. So first, draw near. Second, hold fast. What are we to hold fast to? It's actually better that the Greek says, hold the confession fast. It's not hold fast to the confession, and I don't want to get into that complicated grammar, but it's saying the confession is an objective truth. It's the content of our doctrine. It's what scripture is teaching us. It's what Jesus was sent here to proclaim the gospel of repentance and new life in him. That's the confession that we hold fast. How do we do it? It's a confession of our hope. We do it without wavering. And the great part about this is that it's not dependent on you and me. How much I waver, how much I doubt, how my heart is fickle. I'm all over the place. But when we read that our hope without wavering, why can we do that? Look at the very next phrase. For or because he who promised is faithful. Anchor your hearts and hope in that. Because Jesus is faithful. He's ever faithful on every single moment any time that I might doubt my own hope, I might miss a point of what I believe is true, I might forget how the goodness of the Lord is abundant, His faithfulness will remind me. Now that's a really important reminder that where do we get that idea? What, What do we know to confess is right and true? We know that in God's Word. It's not something we make up on our own. We need to understand his word. We need to know the person and work of Jesus so that we can hold firm to this gospel hope. And, and this word that's used there, the confession idea, is not a private, it's not a me and Jesus moment. It's a public Thing. It's how I not only speak what I know to be true, what I confess with my w- words, it is that, but it's how I live my life that is in agreement with that. That's a challenge, y'all. Take 10 steps that way, see how that goes for us, and pick a topic. But the impetus, the driver here, is that he who promised is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Where I hope this lands is this point that one commentator made, that Jesus is both the object of our faith, he's the objectively true one, whether I know it, understand it, believe it, live it, or not. He's objectively true for all times and all places for the rest of eternity. But he's also the one who has come all the way down to save me in my uttermost lost in depravity and sin, all the way down to give believers a firm and secure hope because of his death, resurrection, and heavenly exaltation. That's the Jesus, that's the Christ I get to confess. I get to proclaim. And I get to worship because of how good that command is, that comes not with the, the lack of ability to ever obey it. It comes with a full spirit power, empowerment to put my faith in Christ, to hope without wavering because of his unwavering faithfulness. The last command then is to stir up. Verse 24 and 25, the author of Hebrews continues to to build on these, to progress from faith to hope now into love and says, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Another way to say this would be understand encouraging one another in good, beautiful, agape love towards good and beautiful work. It it implies here a a thoughtful reflection, not just what I can get out of life in a community, but especially worship, but not just what I can get out of it, but what I can give to others. This reminds me of when we're going back in the New Testament to the book of Acts, in Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42. Luke writes that what do they devote themselves to? What are they focused on so intently that it's saturating their thinking in their lives? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the, the doctrine of their confession, to fellowship. Now, I'm sure that they had potlucks here, but it's much more than just eating together. right? That's like the, the thing that gets people talking, the thing that gets me to know others' lives. The thing that then I can think creatively about how to encourage them in those moments. And of course, the breaking of bread and prayers. I don't mean to demean those other things, but to emphasize the teaching and the fellowship is such a beautiful focus there. This verb that he uses, the stir up one another verb, I hope this is the season that we get that in some really important ways because it's soup season. I hope in your household you eat a lot of soups in the fall and not those, the the really kind of watery down, whatever those things are called, I don't know, that's not soup. Sorry, I get that ew feeling when I think of that kind of soup. Okay, I'm talking like a good hearty stew, like the kind that you have to stir up, and you need the ladle that's like three feet long, because you've got to dig down in there to get the stuff at the bottom, so that when you scoop it into your bowl, it's like, oh yeah, that's some stew right there. It's got like half a pork chop in it, and you know, like, You can see the T-bone sitting there, right? Okay. (laughs) That's the kind of stir-up he's talking about. He's not, you know, you're not taking a little teaspoon and, you know, getting some off the top, and okay, that was great. He's talking about stir down deep. Get into people's lives in a gracious and loving way. See how that meat that settled down to the bottom needs to be brought up to the surface. That's what's encouraging the word he first uses is consider. And I wrestled with this because it's not, the, the starting place is not with me. And I like that word. The starting place when you consider something is it's that truth is already there. You need to set your mind on it. Another way of saying this is understand the the encouragement the love and good works, but encouraging one another, it's already there. Why is it there? Where is this love derived from? 1 John 4:19 is overly clear with this, that we love, why? Because he first loved us. Where does the love and good works come from? It's not something that you have to derive in and of yourself, right? Thank goodness for that. but I can consider how one another in a congregation, whether it's meaning for Bible study or small group or youth color wars or choir practice or young adult meetings or any of those times, the love that God has given to each one, at one another is already there, and my considering is to get to know and use my creative energies To think how I can stir one another up. How I can encourage you. How can I point you back to the goodness and the grace of Christ? That's what I get to consider. In a church like this, and I can say this because I've only been here a short time and I have seen so many bits of evidence of how you do this well you enjoy one another in fellowship so that you can get to know what areas of life do they need encouragement. And think thinking creatively about this. We've met together and this person prayed for this request. I can not only text them the next day, but I will show up next week asking about that. Or I've gone to their kids' games because I know that they're really struggling with Whatever this is, the, the coach or the situation or other teammates, or I I want to go visit this person when they're in the hospital. Not because I feel guilty if I don't, and they did it for our family, so I better, you know, reciprocate. But I want to encourage them. This is hard for them. This is a challenging season. I want to go and stir them up in love. Y'all do that. And this is encouraging us to do it for those really good, right reasons. But we can't ignore that that next phrase, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, we can't forget that that's there. So the logical conclusion on a positive side is is that when you're considering how to stir one another up to love and good works, it means you actually have to meet together. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be in people's face. I don't mean like in their face. But you've got to be in their lives. You've got to get to know them. Care about them. Ask them good questions. So many of you do that so well. But the negative side of that is, if we're not meeting together, we're not obeying this command. We're not stirring one another up. There's a book that's recently been written called The Great de and I almost don't recommend reading it because it's a little depressing. One of the mainline statistics that they go with is the, the detail that 40 million people have left the church over the last 25 years. That's a big number. And this is the first time for as long as we've been recording these statistics, that fewer people are attending church, less than 50%, than attend church. Those statistics tell me a lot of different things about kind of the landscape we're living in. But the positive thing that that shows me is we have a lot of opportunity not to get in people's lives and to kind of be nosy and pick out their flaws and all those kind of things, but to do what you do when you know the overwhelming joy of the grace of Christ, what that has done for your life, and getting to share that with someone else, whether it's a good day, a hard day, a struggling day, a doubting day, or just a kind of meh. That is so rich and joyful. I don't mean that to say that that's going to automatically get 40 million people back in a seat on Sunday. I do mean that when the church, when the body of believers, when we are doing what we've been called and commanded to do because of a confidence in Christ that he is faithful in faith, hope, and love, that will affect people's lives. When y'all show up in Bible study in small group and when you spend time just enjoying how God's at work and weeping with one another when you're struggling, God is at work there. He's faithful in those moments. And it's good. The encouragement in the very two last phrases, encourage one another and all the more as you see the day Capital D, day drawing near, the last day. It's not just saying it's an impending day, it's coming. This is showing us that the spiritual gravitational pull on all of our lives towards the rest of eternity, when we get to do all of these things perfectly and enjoy them fully, we get to draw near to Christ because he will be with us and we will be in his presence. We get to hold fast to the confession because we will see clearly how Christ is faithful and we will stir one another up in love and good works because we will be with the community of believers. That great cloud of witnesses that chapter 12, verses 1 is pointing us to, that now we run the race and it's hard and our knees hurt and I stumble over rocks and I can't see the finish line because it seems like it's too far away. But then on that day, Our encouragement will be full and final because Christ will be the one who's pushing us along. And then we will get to encourage one another fully because all of us will be pointing one another to the perfect vision, the full view of Christ in all his glory. That's what this is drawing us towards. All the more as you see that day drawing near, to see the joy of your Savior. So let me lave off where I, I started. Where is your confidence? Where is your confidence to draw near to your Savior? Not just now when you're in a comfy seat and lots of people are around you doing the same thing. Where is your confidence tomorrow morning after the coffee is worn off and your coworkers? Asking you questions? Where is the confidence on Tuesday? When your son or daughter is, is questioning what this whole thing's about and they're heading off to college and it's gonna be com- confusing and complicated. Where is your hope on Wednesday when you're visiting a friend who's dying and it's hard? Where's your hope on Thursday when your marriage is struggling? when you can't see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, when you can't imagine reconciliation could actually happen, where's your hope on Friday when your own heart doesn't want to believe? Where is your confidence then? Please, brothers and sisters, see that your confidence is in Christ because he and he alone is faithful. And that is enough for the rest of eternity. Please pray with me. God, our Heavenly Father, your truths are rich. Your gospel is incredible. And I pray as we go from here, as we finish up with this beautiful song, as we go from here, that our hearts would be anchored to your steadfast love, your abounding grace, and your new morning mercies. Let that be true because your spirit is at work. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.